governance, it might reveal a new market. And I think that's really interesting because if we take this data that, that you know, kind of we're calling for, and let's, let's say this, this great ideal data set, and you start thinking about it from commercial benefit and our social benefit, which you, you start to maybe get a different priority set, a different opportunity set when you can take this data and say, hey, we want to be very purposive and very specific about our social and governance opportunities and goals. Welcome to the A Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. ESG has only become more important as we play out the last few, I hope, innings of COVID. Every industry is being held accountable by their customers, their governments, their communities, and their partners. And it's about a lot more than just the environment or sustainability. We've gotten used to that in, in the real estate industry to think about it over the last 20 years as something, how do we make our buildings more green? But there's a lot more to it. I've asked Lauren Krauss, who is the director of ESG for Grosvenor Americas, and Brian Biggs, a former guest here on the AFIRE podcast and a full-time research director for Grosvenor Americas. Uh, together, they wrote an outstanding article talking about ESG for the summer issue of Summit called Putting People First. So I've asked them to help us walk through what we should do, how we should change our thinking when it comes to ESG. Thank you, Lauren and Brian, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thanks so much, Gunnar, for having us. Uh, it's exciting to talk about some of these topics with you, uh, have a conversation with Brian. I always really appreciate uh, the opportunity to kind of share stories back and forth with him and um, share some of the things that we were, we've, we've been learning over the past few years. Likewise, yeah. And uh, again, just want to echo Lauren. Thank you, Gunnar, for having us back. I suppose it might be helpful to jump into the motivation behind this article in general, which was the observation that the E side of ESG, I think in general, but particularly in real estate, is pretty well defined. A lot of ink has been spilled on this subject, and with good reason. We just got a report from the United Nations yesterday that uh, the world is in pretty bad shape, and we, and we need pretty drastic action to um, put us on a more sustainable path from a climate change perspective. And so we know what lies in front of us. We have a pretty good sense of how that is set to evolve across a number of different scenarios, and we know what we need to do to mitigate climate change or, or to potentially reverse climate change or to adapt to climate change, whatever strategy you need. Uh, and we have pretty good ways of measuring real estate's environmental impact. By comparison on the social and governance side, we, we don't have as much clarity over what's to be done for a couple of reasons. One is the data and kind of data collection processes are just a little bit um, less mature than they are on the environmental side. And the second is it's a little bit more difficult to come up with objective targets because we don't have a kind of um, a science base to rally around in the same way do we do in the environmental side. And so I think e, the, the S and G side is just a little bit less advanced than the E side. So we wanted to um, have a conversation around the S and the G side and, and, and talk a little bit about um, 
how we can take a perspective to just put some structure on that conversation and hopefully advance the thinking. Well, and, and you, you titled the article that, that just came out, by the way, in the summer issue of AFIRE Summit, Putting People First, which I think is about as, as, about as direct as you can get. Uh, how do we figure out how to do that? And it's equally as important as the sustainability or the energy component. Um, as we've seen uh, the, the social unrest uh, unravel uh, over the last couple of years, uh, not just in the United States, but around the world. Well, how, okay, so you answered this question a little bit, Brian, in terms of, of how you think real estate has focused in one particular area of ESG. Um, how are we doing with the other two? What's missing? What What is it that we need to, to, to put on? Maybe I'll, I'll put this to you, Lauren, um, in, in terms of, what is it that we've got to get our hands around specifically on S and G? Yeah, and I think that you know, just kind of going off of what Brian was saying about having this well-defined roadmap on the environmental side, we almost kind of need a call to action on the S and G side of ESG. It's it's fairly clear, you know, decarbonizing our built environment is is the way that the real estate industry can contribute to reducing climate change. But we haven't really defined those those kind of big goals or even define really the goalposts for the S and the G. And so I think that um, and that's and that's OK. I mean, I don't I don't think that 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 the S and the G need to follow directly in the footsteps of the E. But I think that we need to have some sort of structure for companies um, organizations to really figure out where the material intersections of their business and their actions overlap with social and governance. And so that's really what got Brian and I started thinking about this stakeholder perspective and putting, putting people first, understanding how our actions impact people's lives, um, was really at the core of the thinking behind this. Yeah. And, and, and to follow up on that, you know, the stakeholder perspective it, it is a perspective. That is to say, we are not proposing some radically new way of doing SNG. We're not criticizing groups who collect data on or try to measure or assess uh, progress towards social and governance goals, like let's say GRESB. Not at all. We're instead trying to articulate a perspective that will hopefully provide a structure for thinking about how to measure impact how to advance the conversation. It's really just a way of looking at social and governance activities rather than you know, proposing an entirely new framework or method or, or anything like that. Well, I, I wonder, you know, part of what, you know, we all went through the kind of E part over the last couple of decades and in terms of how our thinking evolved and, and how real estate became somewhat of a leader, I think, in, in that area. What, are there things from a management standpoint or from, a, you know, since you're emphasizing perspective and, and, and how one looks at things and, and thinking about stakeholders, it sounds to me like, to a certain extent, we're just not thinking about it the right way, or there's, there's, there's some sort of block in our thinking that's keeping us from um, really engaging with it. Yeah, it's, it's um, I think that, that from my perspective as, as, you know, kind of being on a number of these panels and kind of talking with peers around the industry, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to know where to focus, you know, there's, there's 
kind of, and, and this gets back kind of to the comment about the call to action or the main part, the main place to focus on is there isn't one place, you know, I mean, there's, when, when you look at the social side, you know, you could look at diversity or you could look at community engagement or you could look at employees, you know, and similarly on the governance side, there's layers of, um, you know, risk avoidance in terms of how a company is structured, how it's, how it's operated, some of the, you know, the risk management tools and policies that are incorporated into its practices. So I think that one thing that is a struggle, certainly for, for, for me, and I believe for other people in similar roles is where do we focus? You know, there's, there's just so many things to focus on and it almost becomes, um, without, without having a way of thinking through the myriad of options, it becomes a bit overwhelming. Um, and you can't, I mean, there's just only so many hours in the day and only so much in the budget, you know, really, really to have an impact. And so I think it, it becomes a bit of a, you know, analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis to say, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm at company X and we want to do everything as good as we can all the time. And it's like, well, you can't, you know, pick two of the three, you can't do it all. Um, and so I think that this approach and this perspective is, is, is really trying to be a tool for that. It's, it's really trying to be a tool, um, that we use within Grosvenor, to be honest, which is kind of where, you know, Brian and I kind of started thinking about this and say, you know, if, if, if you are a resource constrained organization, which I believe most are, um, you, you, you want to do a lot, you want to make an impact, but how do you do that? You know, how do you do that with the limitations that we all face? So I think that that has, that has really been the struggle, um, is just where do we focus and where can we make sure that we have an impact? And this is, you know, that's the, the, the challenge that we were kind of trying to broach. One of the things that, uh, happened, I think in the last 20 years is that we started, you know, certainly decarbonizing the, the built environment is huge and we're not there yet. It's a big, you know, where do you focus? You want to do it all, all those kinds of things. And yet there was a turning point that happened about, let's just say a dozen years ago, 15 years ago, where suddenly everyone got the memo that their building would be worth more money, that they would be able to lease it, you know, and, and suddenly you could have a conversation with your investors that said, look, we're doing this. I know it's expensive and, you know, and yes, it's out there and it's different from what we did before, but this is how we're going to up our leasing. This is how we're going to increase the value of the asset itself. I suspect that if the stakeholder work that you're describing is done correctly, that you will be able to get to that somehow, to be able to demonstrate, you do this, your company makes more money. Yeah, Gunnar, that's that's kind of where I come into this conversation by and large. I'm not an ESG professional in the way that Lauren is, but my job is to collect uh, a pastiche of data from multiple different sources and pull them together to tease out underlying relationships and patterns uh, that we can use in our business. And so for me, apart from just believing in ESG in general as kind of a, a moral cause and good business practices, generally speaking, I'm interested in getting really high quality, robust data, similar to what we have on the environmental side now, but for the S and the G to see how does this line up with asset values? How does this sign, line up with rental growth, with vacancy, with some of the indicators that we're used to working with in real estate? I, I believe kind of at this point is an article of faith because we can't test it, that these sort of practices will lead to better business outcomes. 
but ultimately we want to prove that as well. And so that's why, you know, one of our um, one of our advantages that we say that this perspective offers is that when you understand who your key stakeholders are, it leads to better data collection because you can identify who are you having an impact on, how can you reach them, how can you then you know understand um, the universe you need to collect data on and then structure a data collection process and then get high quality data so we can match it up with all the other real estate data sets that we have that are much older um, because we've been doing this stuff in real estate for a long time, bringing S&G up to that standard so it can be used for, for researchers like me to prove out some of these points. Yeah. Lauren, I, um, I, I guess for me then, uh, I'm going to ask the stupid question here, which I guess is my job. Um, so you, the, the stakeholder uh, kind of focus or perspective that you described in, in, in the article, which I recommend that everyone read because it's, it's an excellent one. Uh, but how does that work? Can you break it down? Okay, I'm, I'm running a real estate company that, that's not as good as Grobner. But um, but I'm I'm running a company. I'm saying, you know what? We want to get the S and G right. We want to use this technique that Brian and Lauren recommended. Um, in broad terms, in broad childish terms, what does that look like? What does that feel like? Yeah, it's it's certainly not a stupid question, and and I think that it's um, it's an exercise that we recently kind of went through as I came into this role and as we were developing our own strategies around around the S and the G aspects, and I think. Um, some of the some of the primary questions that I would urge organizations to think about are their location, kind of where they're doing business, who their customers are, um, and and start to really understand how how the characteristics of their business and the people who interact with their business um, kind of interact. And so, just I'll just kind of use use an example. Um, if there's a, you know, a regional multifamily developer who uh, works with external investors and focuses on, you know, developing buildings in A-plus locations, um, their primary stakeholders around both social and governance, because they end up often being the same stakeholders, are people who live in the apartments, who will ultimately live in the apartments, um, people in the communities where the apartment buildings will be built, um, and probably the company's employees and also their external investors. And so thinking about, think, and I'll maybe start with the G a little bit because it's, it's, I think it's a little bit more straightforward. So thinking about the G aspect of it, that company, the apartment company X, you know, should, should be thinking about what processes they're going through with their external investors to make sure that um, the funds that they're collecting are, you know, clean funds that they're not there, you know, there's, there's no money laundering, there's no, you know, kind of tax evasion, kind of policies to, to make sure that the company and their external investors are really protected from legal risk. Um, I think that that's one of the one thing that probably most organizations should be doing. And similarly on the governance side, um, how are the decisions being made within the company in terms of where they're investing, what locations they're focusing on? Um, are there biases in the way that that groups are thinking about locations that potentially if if eliminated those 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 biases may may eliminating the biases may actually uncover different markets to focus on or different types of products and and that could be a competitive advantage. So those are a few aspects of the G side and thinking about the stakeholder perspective with the external investor. 
I think on the social side, thinking about the communities and the um, thinking about the communities and the ultimate apartment residents is really important to think about, okay, it, with, with resident, resident health in an apartment building, what does that look like? What is a resident going to care about? And then framing a social, you know, framing their S strategy around those things. So a residential tenant cares about different things than an office tenant who cares about different things than an industrial tenant where they're probably leasing the entire building. So having, having those considerations be forefront, I think is, is, is really critical. And then similarly with, with the communities, the communities where these buildings will be constructed will have different interactions with the buildings. If it's an apartment building, there's the ability for retail, there's probably more parking than an industrial building. And so really kind of breaking it down to those very tangible, um, levels, I think is what this perspective affords. Um, and I think it's not, you know, it's not about collecting all the data in the world because that's just, you know, that's just overwhelming as we all know. Um, but it's really kind of focusing on those specific areas that the company is able to impact. I want it all. I want all the data. Lauren, I I wanted to pick up on something that you said there, which was, it was in the context of, of governance. It might reveal a new market. And I think that's really interesting because a lot of work that I do is um, market discovery work or analyzing where we think opportunities might lie. And the data that I tend to use for that for now is the standard real estate financial data. It's rents, yields, population growth, consumption, et cetera. If we take this data that, that you know, kind of we're calling for, and let's, let's say this, this great ideal data set, and you start thinking about it from, you know, let's optimize for the ESG side, S&G side, or if not optimize just for that, can we have some kind of, you know, two-factor optimization? Can we maximize our commercial benefit and our social benefit, which we at Grover actually do have a mandate to do? You, you start to maybe get a different priority set, a different opportunity set when you can take this data and say, hey, we want to be very purposive very specific about our social and governance opportunities and goals. Um, and we're going to use that as a an analytical tool and as an opportunity assessment data point in the same way that we would use rental growth, cap rate, population growth, et cetera. And you really start to embed that in your due diligence processes. Um, and, and I think that's great because up to now, I think people have thought about S&G and even E to some degree as risk mitigation. And I do think the perspective is moving to seeing it as an opportunity as opposed to just a risk mitigating factor, almost as a defensive thing. People are going in the offensive and saying, what can we do um, with this data as an opportunity? It was, it was interesting as the two of you were talking, uh, I was filling out, continuing to fill out a list under what's S, what's G that I started a while ago. And, it struck me just listening to both of you talk that on G, you already have departments that are kind of focused in this area. And it's almost like giving them a little bit more ammunition. You think about the the compliance folks, the risk folks, the legal folks, they're looking for this to happen. They want this to happen. Um, but maybe they don't have the data tools that they need to have in terms of understanding what it is that's actually required of them. On the S side, I kept coming down to marketing. This is marketing. This is getting to know your community. This is getting to know where the opportunity is because you actually 
know your customer better than anyone else. This is marketing in terms of creating a reputation for your project, for your company, for all the things that you do. This is marketing from the standpoint of creating something that's more valuable than the, co than, than the, the component parts. Um, that when you do that in, in S, you're, you're actually talking, you know, this is our public face. This is how we're going to interact with all of you. And we're going to do it in a better way and we're going to use data and everything else. And marketers love having data. They don't, they don't have enough of it. They always want more. Um, it just, just struck me. And, and it's just one thought of looking at it and thinking about how we operationalize a very tricky thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I moved into this role, uh, just over a year ago from, from a more strictly development focused role. And one of the great opportunities that, that I've been afforded and, and that, and that, that Brian experiences as well is our, our ability to work across our, our different functions within Grosvenor. So we have a chance to work with our legal team. We have a chance to work with our risk management team and our marketing team on a, on a fairly consistent basis. I mean, more than I ever did, um, in my, in my prior role. And that's, I mean, that's exciting. You know, it's, it's exciting to see the connections between, uh, between the groups grow and strengthen and it leads to better decisions. And, and, you know, cer certainly risk mitigation is, is a, is a big, um, is a big topic and, and very important, but it's also, you know, looking ahead and finding those new opportunities. And really when we have that ability to connect more deeply around these, around these topics, I think that that's, that's really where we, where we find those opportunities. Yeah, totally agree. And one of the conclusions that we had in our paper, one of the um, advantages of this stakeholder perspective was embedding social and governance. And I'd also put E, if uh, you know the, the paper covered E, into day-to-day -day operations. And what that means, I think at least, is you know legal, accounting, marketing, they, they might have a kind of a functional ownership over some of these activities. But at the end of the day, at least what we're arguing in this piece is that S and G and indeed E, they actually touch all the stakeholders of our business. And by definition, at some point, everyone in the company is going to interact with a stakeholder group for which some aspect of E, S and G is important. And so I would almost think of it, you have this kind of hardcore nucleus of functions, let's say, that kind of have to own, just for professional purposes, different aspects of S&G. But really making S&G your company ethos, that's, that's the aim. And this stakeholder perspective, once you take that perspective, what you realize is that just by working in the company, where you're going to interact with stakeholders that have some interest in the company. And so we have to have this perspective you know, in all of our interactions, as opposed to thinking, you know, it's just your, you know, function line responsibility and not mine. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And um, with the, the last moment or two that we have here, I, I wanted to just get a, a final thought, uh, Lauren. Uh, what, what do you think investors who... We all want S and G to happen. We all want ES. We do. It's just how do you start and, and how do you do it? What's the one thing that everyone should do now? What way to finish with the toughie gunner? <laughs> um, you know, it's. Um, I think I think what COVID has really. I mean, it's shown us so many different things, but 
I think that um, really focusing on the connections with employees to me feels really important right now. Um, I think that we're all suffering from a lot of disconnection, a lot of, you know, feeling of being on our own, you know, islands in our homes. Um, and employees are a really important part of the stakeholder group. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if that's the, if that's the most compelling, you know, compelling answer that an investor is focusing on right now. But, um, I think that, I think that right now where we are focusing on our employees, building those connections is so critical. And really, I mean, they're, you know, they and us, we, we're, we're, you know, we're kind of the backbone of the, of the companies we work with. Um, and just making sure that our physical health, our mental health are, are really top of mind, I think is something that's going to stay important. Um, but again, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to focus on, but, um, I think really, uh, employee engagement, employee health, uh, should be, should be top of mind right now. Amen. Well, uh, we have run out of time, so I'm going to have to close this up. Uh, I want to encourage everyone, uh, to certainly read, uh, the article that was, uh, it's on the, on our website, afire.org, uh, in the most recent issue of summit called putting people first. Uh, also, make sure everyone subscribe to the AFIRE podcast if you haven't already. What? You haven't subscribed? All the cool kids have already. So make sure that you do. We're on all the major subscription services. Just subscribe to the AFIRE podcast and you'll hear all the wisdom, the pearls from, from Lauren and Brian and others um, as they come out. A couple of new podcasts every week. So I uh, just want to thank you, uh, Lauren, Brian, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you, Gunnar. Absolutely. Thanks, Gunnar. You've been listening to the A-Fire Podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. A-Fire is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice to this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the A-Fire Podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. A-Fire is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the A-Fire Podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of A-Fire. To learn more about the A-Fire Podcast, including underwriting and guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast. Thank <laughs> you.